0: Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: Welcome here and across the campuses, 12 Stone Home Online. As we, as you just heard, we are still inside of this hymn series. I'm curious, if you guys enjoyed this july hymn series so far hopefully yeah it's been it's been fun for us as well man it's been a blast sort of looking back at at how faith really was handed down from generation to generation and 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 really tradition is 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 a time capsule it's how you you hand down the things that are most important to you and faith is a huge part of that and i'm i'm gonna start out having a little bit of fun how many y'all know what, what this is if you're under 40, you're like, is that Wally from Pixar? Like, what is that? This is called an overhead projector. And you don't know what this is because you've never seen one if you're under 40. Like, we have things called computers now. And we have things called, called uh, uh, screens and LED walls and that kind of stuff. But this, let's, this thing is as is, is old as Pastor Kevin. Let's see if this turns on. This is how we did everything at church when I was growing up. From the messages to the, the scriptures we wanted people to see to the lyrics for music. You would put it on here, and this is how you did everything, including announcements. You did it here, and this thing is a relic. I don't know where we found it because I don't know why people still need them, but we found one, and I want to show you sort of how, how church would have worked back then. So this week for us is, is camp. You've heard that already, but camp is going to be a huge deal for us, and church, listen to me. There were 500-plus people that signed up to serve at camp. And yesterday, I want you to see a picture. Yesterday, we had our training. This place was packed full of people. They were sweating outside, figuring out how to serve your students and get drop-off and pick-up. And listen, we learned from Chick-fil-A. We hope our drop-off and pick-up will be as smooth as a -A Chick-fil-A drive-through, baby. In Jesus' name, would that be true? We hope that everything at camp is a blast for your kids. But honestly, we're praying and asking that our students would have an encounter with Almighty God. Man, sports is fun. Games is fun. The services are going to be a blast, but it's nothing if they don't have a life-changing encounter with the living God. And so here's the deal. If you're a student and you're coming to camp, it's going to be a blast. If you're a daymaker and you said you're serving at camp this week, over 500 of you, awesome. But the rest of us can all be involved in this. And let me show you how it used to work. I want to invite us as a church why are you laughing about this, man? This is, this is church for me. I want, isn't it ironic, text something on the overhead? Anyway, text, I want you to text pray for camp to 37748, and here's what's going to happen. It's going to give you a link, and you can go in, and you can pick one day that you're saying, I'm going to pray for camp on this day, or you can click every day or however many you want. And you'll get a text every day that you say you're going to pray. And we're going to tell you, what are we doing at camp that day? What are we teaching that night? What are we asking God to do? So we can invite thousands, this whole church, gotta be careful. This whole church can be praying specifically focusing on what's happening at camp that day. And you can say, listen, I'm in. I'm going to pray for God to move and you'll know exactly day by day what's happening, where we're going. So you can do it right now. Text pray for camp to 37748. Now, when I was a kid, I would have given my left arm for, for this camp. Like, when I went to camp, it was, like, rustic, man. Like, it, it, no, no air conditioning anywhere, nothing cool like this. It was, it was basically church somewhere else. Like, it, it felt like this. I know this wasn't the heart, but when I was a kid, church felt like it wasn't designed for me. Like, when I was a student, it felt like church was designed for my parents, and I just tagged along. And again, I don't think it was their heart. At 12 Stone, that's A, it's never been true. And B, we don't want it ever to be true that our kids and students feel like this place is for the adults and they'll grow into it one day, right? Like, how do we hand our faith down one generation to the next? Part of it is we show them, we value them, which is why on August 6th, you ready, here comes another one. On August 6th, we are doing a next-gen offering. We're inviting the whole church to pray and ask God what he'd ask you to give and to give towards the next generation a host of things. But the big-ticket item that we want to do is we want to transform all of the children and next-gen space so that when they come to church, they go, this place is for us. Like, we weren't an afterthought. This is my church. This is what I get to do. And you see that URL. Again, it's ironic. There's a website on an overhead projector. But 12ston.com slash offering. you'll get to preview uh, some renderings of what the buildings will look like and all the things we're planning and praying on doing with this offering. So between now and August 6th, your job is to pray, God, what would you ask me to give to be a part of making sure the next generation knows this place is not just for their parents. (laughs) This place is for them as well. So today told you last week we're asking the question why does the church talk about blood so much that's a heavy question you got quiet in here like why why do we hear the word blood bulb don't blow all right we're safe why why does the church talk about blood so much and the question that we're answering today is, is necessary because there's verses like this all over the Bible. Go ahead and put those verses up there. This is Jesus talking. Buckle up. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. What? <laughs> to the shepherd, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Imagine going to the store and being like, there's some blood. I'll take that. Thank you. Very-. What? The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. His blood is on us and on our children. Sounds like a serial killer, like an episode from Dexter. Like, his blood is on our children? I am gone. Like, this is not, this is some sort of cult. What are you talking about? Let alone the songs we used to sing with lyrics like this. Are you washed in the blood? There's a fountain filled with blood. Not outside of any of our camps. There's not a fountain with blood. Relax. I see a crimson stream of blood. I don't even like the word crimson. Anybody else? In Jesus' name, no. See, the the reason we're not starting today by singing the hymn is because if we sing it now, we won't fully understand what it's about. See, we're going to sing some hymns in the middle of the teaching today, but by the time we get there, my heart, my hope is that you would have a deeper understanding of the hymns that we're singing. Maybe hymns you sung all through your childhood if you went to church. Maybe hymns that you heard in in a service, and you're like, I don't get that, but I'm singing about blood. We're going to get to it. But by the time we get there, I want us to have a deeper understanding and appreciation for the lyrics that we're singing. And whether you've been a Christian for 70 years, or you're still exploring faith, trying to figure this Jesus thing out, my prayer, my hope, my belief is that you'll leave today with a better understanding of why we talk about blood so much here. And that that word will not be a scary or weird thing anymore for you. See, here's what we're going to do. And I need you to hang with me. There's going to be sort of four quarters to the teaching. I'm going to start with the medical and scientific approach first and explain blood through that filter. Then I'm going to go to the theological approach. I'm going to unpack theologically what's this whole blood thing about. Then we're going to sing some hymns about blood, and then I'm going to apply it and, and, and sort of put it into our world today at the end, and I need you to hang with me. So I'm going to ask, and I'm looking for a response. Can y'all hang with me through that today, here across the campuses? 17 of you are in. Hopefully the campuses are in. I'm going to try it again. Can y'all hang with me today as we talk about blood for the next 30 minutes? All right. So I, I need your permission here. So here's, here's the deal. The science of blood, like if you go to a hospital or you're a nurse or a doctor, you hear the word blood all the time. Blood test, you're running tests on the blood. So you need to give somebody some blood. If, if you, if you like work at a blood drive, you, you save somebody's life by donating your blood. I don't like needles. Like I, I pass out quick. I don't like it, but it's how you save a life. If, you're, if you work like as a first responder in EMS, what's the first thing you do? You stop the Bleeding. Blood. its not good grammar. Stop the blood. No, you, stop the, you want the blood to flow, but you want to stop the bleeding because a broken leg doesn't matter if you're bleeding out, right? Like, this is normal in the medical world. And let me tell you where I started. My understanding of blood is quite minimal. My son Lincoln, a couple weeks ago, ironically, was like, his mind is at the age where he's just got questions. He's like, Dad, how many gallons of blood can you lose before you die? Like, just out of nowhere. Like, I was prepared for this, and I was like, I don't know, too. And he's like, okay. And then I looked it up, and I'm like, your whole body only has like 1.2 gallons of blood in it. Like, you can't lose two. I had to go back and clean that up. I knew very little. But listen, I was passed along a medical journal article called The Chemistry of the Blood by M.R. Dihan M.D. If you've ever seen the devotionals, Our Daily Bread, laying around, he started those. Here's his story. He lived his life as a medical doctor like trained, practicing medical doctor. And somewhere in the middle of his life, God called him out from being a medical doctor to being a pastor and an evangelist. And so he wrote these articles and these books and would travel and speak. And he took like all of his medical training and then all of his theological training and he started linking these things, how God designed the body to work. And what the Bible says about the gospel and theology and it's beautiful. And I, this week, read through this 40, 50-page medical journal, so you didn't have to. And I, I want to I help you get into the brain of this guy, because he's uniquely qualified to speak to this. See, his, his verse that he sat inside of and sort of based the chemistry of the blood from his Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of a creature is in the blood. The Bible says that. The life of the creature is in the blood. And the thing that's unique about blood as he unpacked it is that we have all kinds of different tissues inside the body. We've got muscles and nerves and fat and glands and bones and organs, and all of those are stationary. They stay in one place and do a specific job where blood moves through the entirety of the body. It it doesn't stay in one place. It moves all over the place, not limited, but it it moves through the body. And in the normal human body, every 23 seconds, your blood is fully pumped through your whole body and it moves all over the place. And then the reality is that the blood is what brings life to everything else in the body. It's why if you, if you like have someone who lost a toe or a leg, what happened? The circulation got cut off and the blood couldn't get there. So it died. Isn't that fascinating? That the blood is what brings life to the body. See, once the blood fails to reach the cells and members of the body, you die. So when Leviticus says the life of the creatures in the blood, it actually is. Scientifically, medically. Again, hang with me. The blood has sort of three main elements inside of it. And if you're a nurse, don't send me emails. I'm gonna, it's going to be a little bit wrong from here and there. I'm not an MD, all right? So we've got the plasma, which is the liquid. And inside it, there's three elements that, that, that sort of make the blood what it is. The first is platelets. And if you all remember, you feel like you're in ninth grade biology class right now, there's a quiz at the end. And if you fail, you go to summer school. So, platelets. And what the platelets do is, is they, when you get a cut, the blood goes to where the cut's coming out and the platelets begin to clot your blood and save you from bleeding out and then begin the healing process of that wound. That's in the blood. So what do the platelets do? Our blood actually saves and heals our body. And secondly, you've got the, the, uh, the red blood cells. And the red blood cells, they're red because of the hemoglobin. Remember that word in school? Some of y'all didn't pay attention in school. There's a quiz at the end. Hemoglobin. And it's it's what, as the blood gets pumped from the heart through the lungs, the oxygen is absorbed into the blood cells, the red blood cells. And oxygen, life, nourishment is being brought to the cells in the body. And then it grabs the waste of the, the body, the carbon dioxide, and pulls it back so you can you can get it out of your body. And it's this beautiful cycle of life through the blood. You see, the red blood cells, they nourish and purify our body. This is needed. Then you've got the white blood cells. And these cells are what, they, they combat infection and prevent disease. The white blood cells are, when you get an infection, it's what attacks the infection. Because think about it, if you didn't have white blood cells, that infection would take root, and you would die from an infection. But God designed the blood so that the white blood cells would go in and attack those things and, and kill the diseases. And, and the white blood cells, they defend and protect our body. And some of you all are like, okay, enough of the science. I just want to recap for the quiz at the end. Here's what what our blood does. Here's the full list. Our blood saves, heals, nourishes, purifies, defends, and protects our physical bodies. And God designed that. That wasn't by chance. You're not some random group of cells that came together. God designed it that way. And we're going to come back to that because it's important. See, that's the science of the blood. But now I want to combine the science with the theology. And I want to go back And have some more fun with the overhead projector because this feels too nostalgic and and fun for me to miss but equally this is too this has too much gravity for us to not remember so I want to tell you from the beginning of time till now the biblical narrative and don't blow up thank you God so this all started somewhere and it got us to here and this This journey is how you understand why we talk about blood so much. So in the beginning, God created, and that's a tree, if you can see the whole thing. There's the bottom. There you go. For those of you that are like OCD, it's never going to be straight. So just don't, don't, don't stroke out of me. Chill. So in the beginning, God created this beautiful world, sinless, perfect in every way. Adam and Eve could walk And talk with God in perfect relationship. Everything he created, he said it was good. And then he created Adam and Eve and said, this is very good. And everything was perfect. And there was unbelievable freedom. But God said, but there's just one thing. Enjoy everything I created for you. I love you and I want this for you. One thing is don't eat from this one tree the knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan shows up. And if you know the story, Satan shows up. And he does what he still does now. He wants to make you believe that God's rules and God's boundaries are restrictive. Listen, God won't let you eat that tree. When in fact, God's protection is in his boundaries. They're freeing things. Do anything you want except eat from that one tree. Satan's like, yeah, how dare he? And what do they do? They take a bite from the tree. And here's what happens. God warned them. Genesis 17, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And what happened is sin entered this perfect world that God created. And when sin enters the world, Romans tells us the wages of sin, that's a tombstone, by the way. Pretty good, thank you. When sin enters the world, death enters with it. And Adam and Eve now have a curse that they're living under, the curse of sin. And they were expelled from this perfect garden that God created for them. And now they're living at a distance with God. And their sin in the Garden of Eden had to leave God's presence. And then sin caused the rebellion at the Tower of Babel. And then sin caused God's people to walk away from him. And they were enslaved by Egypt for thousands of years. And this narrative continues on, but now not perfect and in relationship perfectly with God, but separated by sin. And now death is in the world. The wages of sin is death. And it gets worse because this didn't just stay with Adam It comes to all of us. You see, through the blood of Adam, it's handed down. We have, all of us, a relative all the way back that we all come from. And when Adam brought sin into the world, his blood was poisoned. The disease of sin has now been handed down generation to generation, and it has now come to all of us. No matter who you are, it's come to all of us. Here's what Romans 5.12 says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all people sinned. See, our blood carries the death sentence with it because we've been infected. (laughs) We've all sinned. We were born into sin, and this is where we stood. And because God loved his people so much, God wanted, needed to create a system by which his people could be back in relationship with him. And so in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapters 1 to 10, if you want to read about this, it is long in detail. But if you're a nerd about this stuff, knock yourself out. Read Leviticus 1 to 10, multiple naps in the middle of it. But I, I want you to see he created something called the sacrificial system. And I'm warning you, if you love pets, this is going to be some earmuff moments, <laughs> You see, this is going to start really gory, but end beautiful, because what God created was something called the sacrificial system, and he created his temple and then the tabernacle, if you can see that, and here's what he did. He said, listen, back to Leviticus 17, the life of a creature is in the blood, and then it continues, I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And he goes on to give a bunch of details that I'm going to summarize for us. Here's what he says. He says, listen, the consequences of sin was death, is death, will always be death. The consequences didn't change, but God created a system by which the consequences of sin could be put on someone or something else. And so he created this temporary, symbolic, substitutionary atonement. In other words, you ate the meal and someone else paid for the bill. You did the thing, and someone else is going to pay the consequences for it. And because of God's great love, he created this system. And here's how it would work. In this picture, you see something of the, the tabernacle and the temple, and there'd be an altar. And you would bring a bull or a lamb, or you'd bring a dove or a pigeon, And you would bring this to the tabernacle. And it was important that the animal had to be spotless, blameless, perfect, no defects, nothing messed up about. The animal had to be flawless. And you'd bring this animal with you and you'd journey to the temple with your animal. You'd go to your flock and pick the best lamb, let's say, out of your flock, and you'd bring it with you. And in order to keep that lamb spotless and blameless, you'd have to treat that lamb like a member of your family for the trip. You couldn't let it roam around outside. What if it got a bite taken out of it by a wolf or or something happened that it broke its leg? It's no longer able to be used. So you're bringing this lamb in and sleeping in the tent with you and your house with you. Your kids are getting attached. Suddenly you come in the house and your kids are like, we named them. You're like, no, don't name them. It's lamby the Lamb, Dad. And you're like, oh, this is going to go bad. So finally you get to the temple. And the father of the family would bring this, this sheep to the temple, this lamb. And he would lay its hand on the head of the lamb, identifying himself with it. Like, I realize what you're about to experience is what I'm supposed to be experiencing. And then, here's where it gets earmuffs. Then they would slit the throat of the lamb. And the blood would begin to pour out. At this point, you've got kids in the background. Dad, that's lamby. You're like, hold on, we'll talk in a minute. And the priest would take that blood and he'd bring it back to the altar and he'd put it on the four horns of the altar. And that lamb would then be put on the altar and burned as an offering to God. And the death of that animal Is the consequences of sin. Like, what just happened to that lamb is what the person who brought it deserved. Kids are like, Dad, but the lamb was innocent. It did nothing. We love that lamb. I know, but that's what sin brings. It brings death. And blood is required. Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And the person who brought the lamb was eventually then declared innocent before God. And over hundreds, even thousands of years, millions of animals would have given their life this way. Innocent. Nothing wrong. And the sacrificial system taught us that God can be approached with the blood of a worthy substitute. And if you hear that and you go, that just feels crazy, that feels so violent and excessive and unneeded, if that's your reaction, it's because you don't understand sin completely. Like what sin does is it brings death. Sin, rebellion against God, rebellion against the things that God put in place. This is the result of it. And that's what they were proclaiming in the sacrificial system. But the good news is that this is not a horror story. It's a love story of a God who wants to be near us. And he's the one who created this saying, listen, I wanna be near you. And this was the way back for thousands of years. But if that's the case, then why do we not have an altar outside? <laughs> and why are we not still sacrificing animals? Like if we did that today, we would be considered a cult, because that's not something we do anymore, thank God. And I've got one word that answers it and I'll unpack it. And simply the word is Jesus. See, there we go. What Jesus was, he was the fulfillment, the permanent, substitutionary sacrifice to end all sacrifices. See, here's what you, you have to understand this. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 said this, For you know that it was was not with perishable things like gold and silver that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. That's Adam. The next, to the next, to the next, to the next. The way you're redeemed from that, the disease of sin, is not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. And listen, a lamb without blemish or defect Maybe you've asked the question, why did they talk about Jesus as a lamb? That's weird. Well, when you understand the sacrificial system, now you know what they're saying. You see, only Jesus could be the sacrifice for all of mankind. Why? Several reasons. First, this is why the virgin birth and the divine conception matter. We believe in scripture, it tells us that the virgin Mary was, was, Jesus was conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. And as I read the medical journal, this is I don't have time, but this is fascinating. When from the time of conception until the delivery of the baby, the mother's blood and the baby's blood never intermingle. I've always thought the mother like gave the baby the blood. It's why if you have an egg for breakfast and you break it open, there's no blood in the egg because it's not, it's not been fertilized yet because the blood doesn't come from the outside. The blood comes from the inside. The baby creates blood. Meaning this, Jesus was born with the body of us from Adam, but with the blood of God through the the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus was born with a blood that wasn't diseased with sin. He was born pure. And then not only was he born with pure, unsinful, unbroken, non-diseased blood, but then he lived a perfect life and never committed a sin. So you and I, we were born in sin and we sinned. Jesus was born without sin and then didn't sin. Hebrews 4.15. He's been tempted, but yet without sin, which allowed Jesus to be called the spotless lamb. Because again, the sacrifice has to be unblemished, unbroken, perfect in every way. Jesus met the criteria, which is why John the Baptist could say when he saw Jesus, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Jesus marches to the cross. And he said, listen, I'm going to lay my life down. And like you saw play out for thousands of years, I'm going to become the sheep, the lamb. My blood is going to spill out. And once and for all, I'm going to solve this sin problem. Hebrews 10.10, 10, that listen, the holy sacrifice of the body of Jesus was offered once and for all. And for us, why do we talk about blood so much? Because you, you have to understand how we got here to understand the value, beauty, the blood of Jesus poured out. And listen, I get it. It's visceral. I like could talk about the thought of sacrificial system all the way to the thought of the Lamb of God being nailed to a cross, his blood pouring out. Why? As my prayer partner reminded me this week, this is a love story. It's gory, stomach turning in some ways, but it's a love story of a God who was faithful and loving every turn, even after Adam sinned and now we sin he's like I, I gosh I know but I still want to be with my, my, my people my creation humans I want to be with you and the only way I can be with you is I, I can't excuse sin the cost is too great I'm holy and I can't excuse it but I can pay for it and I can make a way for us to be back in relationship with God again that listen through the blood of Jesus God covers our sin. God forgives us. God makes us righteous and holy before him. And we can come into his presence and have relationship again. Like this is why we talk about blood so much, because it's too good to be true. It's our only hope. In fact, what our physical blood does for our body. Put that back up here. Here's what Jesus's blood does for us. Jesus's blood saves us and heals us, and nourishes us, and purifies us, and defends us, and protects us. Revelation, it's fascinating. Satan is hurling insults. And they say, we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. See, the blood of the lamb is what makes us conquerors and victorious. We have no leg to stand on. We are guilty as charged. And what we deserve is what the lamb got. And yet, Jesus stepped out of heaven, put on human flesh, lived flawless, perfect, sinless, gave his life, let his blood pour out, and says, for any who would believe and receive, we get to call him dad. There's no words. God could have said, all the sin, all the stuff, earn your way back. God could have said, you owe me and you're going to work this. God could have said, you messed it up and I'm done with you. God could have said a number of ways to get to him. But he said, I know you messed it up, but I'm going to make it right. So that that's why we sing songs about blood here. Because listen, it's not any blood, it's Jesus' blood. It's not anybody's story, it's our story. It's not just some random thought, it's our only hope. And so as we sing songs about blood, my prayer for you today is simply this that you would have a deeper understanding intellectually. A deeper gratitude in your your heart and your soul. And a richer worship. Because this is what God did for you. This is the gospel on display. So when we sing songs like we're about to sing, we sing them different because we get it. We sing it different because it's our story. So I asked the guys, would you take us through and sing through some of the songs that I remember singing as a kid? Songs that as a kid, I was like, what is this? What's this song about? And today, we're going to sing it over you. Here across the campuses, you can stay seated. If you know the songs, sing them. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would take lyrics you might have heard a hundred times and take them somewhere deeper. Because there's now an understanding of what the blood of Jesus did, what it's about, and why we can sing and worship and say thank you because of Jesus' blood. So Russ, Guys, would you take us through some of these? Thanks, Jason.
2: Hey, what's up, campuses and 12 Stone Home, Church Online, Sugar Little Fly in the room. We're glad you guys are here. Uh, we're going to sing a medley. You guys know what a medley is? What do the kids say now? Mashup? mash-up. mash-up compilation, maybe? No? Um, I asked my daughter, and she said, Don't say that, Dad. But, um, said it. Uh, we're going to do a medley, a mashup of the songs, but we want to just. Go through them a couple times, you know, make sure that we all remember what they are. So we're going to sing Power in the Blood, Washed in the Blood, Nothing But the Blood, and Victory in Jesus. You guys know some of those? So I'm going to need your help. You guys can stay seated, but all across campuses, if you know these songs, um, remember this one? Would you be free from the burden of sin? What is it? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory There's wonderful power in the blood What's next? There is power, power, wonder power In the blood of the Lamb There is power, power, wonder power In the precious blood of the Lamb Remember that one? Hey, Seth, let's do uh, Nothing But the Blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Come I here it is. Hey. Oh, one more for you we're gonna do um, washed in the blood I forgot how the verse goes how does that verse go? <laughs> oh I got it have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power are you washed in the blood of the Lamb are you fully trusting in his grace this hour are you washed I'll sing if you know it. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they by the slow? Are they washed in the blood of the lamb? All these songs sound a little bit the same. We're gonna do one more. Uh victory in Jesus. Can we do that, Cam? Yeah. So- One, two, three. Oh, three. victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He saw me and bought. Oh but the blood of Jesus. Are you washed in the blood, in the blood of the Lamb? He shot me and bore me. Nothing but the blood.
1: just have flashbacks to grandma dragging you to church (laughs) not on Sunday mornings that's only Sunday night stuff right there see why do we sing about the blood it's our only hope songs like that make no sense till you get it that Jesus is gave his life for you spilled his blood for you and so I want to just I'm going to be brief and I want to be practical listen two truths two questions truth one the blood of Jesus should move your heart The blood of Jesus should stir something in here because you couldn't make a way back to God. You couldn't pay for what you did. I couldn't fix what I broke. And Jesus fixed it for you. And listen, you write songs like that and you pass songs like that on from generation to generation because our propensity to drift from the blood of Jesus moving our heart. The longer you're in something, the easier it is to drift from the gratitude you had first, first off in day one. I want to talk to, i want to talk to those that are older than me. If you follow Jesus for decades, first of all, thank you. If you got gray hair and you love Jesus and you still love him, thank you. You model things for us and for my kids that I'm eternally grateful for. We need you as a part of the kingdom. God's a generational God and you broke ice and we're following behind you, man. We love it. But here's your caution. Does the blood of Jesus still move your heart like it once did? When you think about Jesus, do you still go, oh, God, thank you. Who I would have been. The blood of Jesus is supposed to move your heart. Second truth. Listen, sin is supposed to turn your stomach. See, the blood of Jesus should stir something in us. But then, listen, sin should turn your stomach. See, the sacrificial system made this really easy. Because you saw the immediate, weighty, costly cost of your sin. When you saw that animal lay its life down for something you did, you could not You couldn't say things like, that's just a little white lie. No big deal. Really? Lammy didn't think so. See, maybe what we lost in the sacrificial system, and by the way, I'm so glad we're done with that because part of my job would be offering these sacrifices and I, I don't like blood. So here's the deal. That's done. But maybe what we lost is we've disconnected what sin really is and what sin really does. And maybe we've lost something in that, and we start to cozy up to sin, and it doesn't turn our stomach like it once did. About a year ago, Amber and I, we started smelling something weird in our laundry room. And it started out like, you smell something? Maybe, I don't know. And every time we'd walk through this doorway, we'd just get a whiff, and I mean, My wife is a clean freak. Like she hated every second of this year, by the way. For a year, we're checking under sinks. I'm smelling pipes. I'm I'm looking at the washing machine like, is the drain clogged? And there's a bunch of stuff. I'm looking, turning over everything. Can't find the smell of this thing. And it keeps getting worse and worse to the point where when company comes over, we'd shut the laundry room and spray a bunch of Febreze like a college dorm room and go, don't go in there. Like it was embarrassing. It's gross. So, no lie. This goes on for close to a year. I'm about to call a plumber and go, dude, you're going to, there's got to be mold in the walls. There's got to be something because I can't figure it out. And then my sister-in-law comes over. and She's like, Ugh, what's that smell? We're like, we know we're so embarrassed. She, she starts sniffing and she goes behind the coat rack in the laundry room behind the towel that was hanging. And there's this little satchel and she opens it up and it was like, oh, uh, that's it. What? Oh, uh, like that feeling. When you hit the back of your throat and we open it up and it was Lincoln's old fishing bag and he had left hot dogs and sausages sitting in there a year ago. And when I tell you that when that bag opened, it was, huh? I mean, we took my wife went and took that, put it in a Walmart bag, tied it, Ziploc bag, tied it, garbage bag, tied it, set it out by the road. Didn't he put it. It was too gross for the garbage can. And here's what's funny. The second that thing got out and the Febreze got in, we never smelt it again. Gone. Here's what we do. We come to church and we say the blood of Jesus. Amen. And then we leave sin just hanging on the back of stuff. And what once turned your stomach, you just sort of put to the side and close the door and go, that one's okay for me. See, Our reaction to sin is supposed to be the same reaction as that bag opening. uh, It should should turn your stomach because you know what sin does. Listen, sin is deadly. And the sacrificial system did not let them get distant from the deadliness of sin because they had to watch it play out. Sin is deadly to your soul for all of eternity without Jesus. But it's also deadly to your marriage. Sin is deadly to your character, to your children, to your calling, to our community, to our culture, to our church. Sin only brings death and destruction. And in a world that doesn't assign consequences to personal decisions, you have to come to church to be reminded that sin, no matter how you try to twist your theology and minimize or justify that your sin is a small one, it's still deadly. See, here's here's what I'm going to do. Can we be honest? We all have sins that turn our stomach, but they're usually other people's sins. When you see that happen over there, you're like, oh, how terrible is that? The sins that don't turn your stomach are oftentimes the sins that you still like. You've walked with Jesus for any amount of time. The sins that you still have in your life are because you like them. I pray that as you're reminded of the value of what Jesus did, the gravity of what Jesus did on the cross, is that your stomach would begin to turn, churn. You'd feel nauseous over sin because the great price that was paid for that sin and we cozy up to the very thing that Jesus gave his life to give us freedom from. And church, the world can, can deal with a lot of things. They don't know how to deal with hypocrites. And when we claim the name of Jesus and celebrate his sacrifice and yet protect our little sins over here, they will cause death. I'll just ask the two questions and I'm going to pass it to the campus pastors because my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would take you to places and begin to shine spotlights on places where maybe you need to adjust some things. First question: where do you need to treat sin as deadly again? Be holy as he is holy. Don't discount the cost of what Jesus did to make you free and forgiven. By going back, like this sin's just naughty, it's not deadly, it's, it's not that big a deal. Maybe there's some place, 12 stone, listen, there's some place in your life, Holy Spirit, right now, would you just whisper? Some corner of your life that you've just gotten comfortable with sin and you've justified it, you've minimized it, and the Spirit of God might just go, that's not just something naughty to play with, that is deadly. Marriages don't fall apart because of one thing one day down the road. They start with just playing around with sin and saying, that's not deadly, it's naughty, no big deal. And over time, the progression causes the death of a marriage, the death of character. Second question. Where do you need to cultivate gratitude for the blood of Jesus again? Where's it just gotten old hat? Or has it just gotten sort of like, yeah, that's that's what we talk about at church. See, what tends to happen is when you minimize sin, you minimize the beauty of the gospel. In church, the only response we should have to Jesus is gratitude. Maybe God needs to take you back to where this whole thing started. Who would you have been today if it was not for Jesus? Who would your kids be today if it wasn't for Jesus? What would your marriage look like today if it wasn't for Jesus? What would your family look like? What would your calling look like? What would your eternity look like if it wasn't for Jesus? you got to cultivate a gratitude. And I pray that although very heady and cerebral and lots of medical and theological today, the guts of this teaching is simply this. There's a God who wrote a love story in his blood to get you back. And our response should be every morning gratitude, every afternoon gratitude, every night gratitude, we could never say thank you enough. So pastors, would you just step up? And I, I want you to just process this with us in prayer, lead us down this path of prayer, that maybe the Holy Spirit would point to an area where you just gotten comfortable with sin. And God's like, I want to clean that up. And maybe there's a place where you've just sort of grown routine with the blood of Jesus. And God, I want to remind you what I did for you. So pastors, would you lead us in that prayer moment here across the campuses in 12 Stone Home?